Greetings and welcome to Visibility with your host, Dr. Donna Maria Culbreth. You may call us to share your thoughts, pose a question, or to give a general comment by dialing area code 323-642-1562. And now, Dr. Culbreth. Welcome to Visibility. This is going to be, we're in the middle, well, let me not say the middle. We're on the fourth episode of our mini-series, Our Voices, Our Stories. And as all of you already know, the mini-series is actually being produced as a result of the publication of the National Girls and Women of Color Council's anthology, Our Voices, Our Stories, an anthology of writings advancing celebrating and embracing girls and women of color. So tonight's episode is focusing on empowering girls and women of color. It's titled The Power Within. And as I noted earlier, this is the fourth episode in this mini-series. And what we're going to do through this episode, we're going to focus in on the empowerment of girls and women of color and we're going to do so personally, academically, and professionally. The topics that we're going to will include, rather, how we can actually empower girls and women of color psychologically, emotionally, physically, and socially. Additional topics that we will go into tonight will include realizing the power within, and oftentimes, Regardless of the type of situation or circumstances that you're in, we often forget that we hold the ultimate power to make our dreams come true, for success, to achieve our goals. So we're going to focus in that in a real deep level. We're going to talk about self-esteem, self-love, self-pride, identity, and self-respect. We're going to focus in on race, racism, colorism, hair, of course, body image, We're also going to look at inner beauty, words of wisdom, self-validation. And I'm going to stop there with validation because it is so important to make sure that we let, especially our young girls and teens, preteens and teens, know that you, they do not, and I put emphasis on that, need to be validated by anyone. And I'll go more into detail about that whole focus on validation We're going to look at on being original, on defining yourself for yourself. Of course, the the favorite discussion, standards of beauty, setting high standards and expectations, among other topics. We're also going to end up focusing on how women of color can inspire, set examples, and make sure we empower girls and teens of color, and then also focusing on helping them develop coping strategies you know, to deal with racism, colorism issues, and other disparate treatments that girls, and especially women of color, often go through. My guests tonight are Dr. Meghna Bahat and Ms. Alicia Thompson. I'm going to read their bios, then we'll go through an introduction, and then we'll start the show. Dr. Bahat was a Ph.D. in criminology, law, and justice from the University of Illinois at Chicago, 
advocate for gender equality. Megna Khan currently lives in Sacramento, California, and she's an independent consultant, scholar, speaker, and volunteer. Her submission to the anthology Our Voices, Our Stories was titled, My Experiences with Colorism as a South Asian Immigrant Woman, How I Learned to Celebrate and Embrace My Skin Color. My next guest is Ms. Alicia Thompson. Ms. Thompson is an international thespian and writer from Jamaica. She's the founder of Artistry in Ministry, AIM, and known for customized performances of one-woman shows and folklore. She uses her artistry to uplift and impact girls and young women to help them deal with issues such as self-image, self-worth, self-realization. She's an alumni of the Parent Leadership Training Institute, Parent Supporting Excellence in Education, and she's a past recipient of the Bridgeport Parent Leadership Award. Ms. Thompson's submission to A Voice of Our Stories was titled, Words of Wisdom for Mother Wise on Beauty and Self-Acceptance. Good evening, guests. Welcome to Visibility. Thank, Thank you. you. I'm excited. Good, good. Glad to have you both here. Before I move on, Ms. Thompson, what is artistry in ministry? Can you tell our guests what that is? Sure. So artistry is ministry, otherwise known as AIM, for the acronym. That pretty much stands for simply edification through the arts. So I use the theatrical arts just to tell stories and to inspire and impact a lot of girls and young women, youth youth, but specifically for girls and young women, because I have, yes, I have two young daughters, and so that's why I decided to, um, just from a a young age of being involved in the arts, I wanted to do something in terms of just giving back. Wonderful. Okay, great. Thank you. So let's begin with this. Listeners, before we even get started, if you have any questions or comments, or you'd just like to call in and share our listener line. It's 323-642-1562. Okay, so let's move and get into this. I'm going to start with um, Dr. Bahad. What moved you to write your particular submission, My Experience with Colorism? Um, I think uh, writing this essay was a byproduct of a conversation that I had with my mom during one of my trips uh, back home visiting family. So just uh, about me in terms of my background, I was born and raised in India, so uh, my my family stays in India. And during one of these trips, while looking at you know childhood photos, we discussed how people would actually compare my younger sister, who has a fairer complexion, and me, who was uh, comparatively dark-skinned. Uh, I was also labeled as uh, too thin or scrawny in addition to being dark skinned and uh, just to you know give uh, the you know the listeners a context, my sister was barely one then, and I was probably six, so our relatives, teachers, strangers would tell us that we looked different from each other, and they would even check with my parents if we were sisters. Um, so, I mean, even though my sister and I were clo- have been close and my parents have intervened and supported us. Um, it kind of um, all these messages, you know, uh, was a very subtle indicators uh, for the preference for fairer skin, 
uh, it also gave me a message at that age that I was not fitting into their box of societal expectations of how an Indian girl should look like, that something was wrong with me. So once I started jotting down these experiences of body shaming and colorism as a child, um, you know, it kind of uh, opened up the Pandora box, or I would say like, I, I don't want to say can of worms, but it's more of a Pandora box, uh, which helped me empower, uh, feel empowered about myself. Um, just, I mean, it's been 14 years I've been living as a first-generation immigrant in the U.S., and I also identify as a woman of color here. Um, the one thing that I realized being away from home and here as a brown woman was that we all, we all shared one common important thread that connected us most women of color, no matter where we came from, um, and especially in terms of how colorism intersects or accompanies other forms of microaggressions or, you know, moral policing, societal expectations, um, negative stereotypes and so on. So I think after realizing further uh, how, many, how my growing, ex, uh, growing up experiences of colorism or body shaming affected my healing journey as a survivor of sexual violence, I was deeply moved and motivated to share these experiences and tell my story, uh, one with the hope that it can inspire uh, other girls, young girls and women of color um, and also in terms, uh, you know, of expressing my solidarity with other girls and women of color who have experienced uh, similar, uh, you know, incidents of colorism and other forms of uh, oppression. Okay, good. And we're definitely going to talk more about um, colorism sure. as we go through um, the episode tonight. Miss um, Thompson, um, tell us what made you decide to write Words of Wisdom for Motherwise on Beauty and Self-Acceptance. Sure. So I'll just expand a little bit further. Um, so that actually was an excerpt from a one woman show that I did called I Am My Hair. And the reason why I titled it that is because even though we're not the physical fiber of um, what grows out of our head, a lot of the times as women, we get, you know, especially women of color, we get treated as such. Um, and mm -hmm. so I wanted to use the title as a conversation starter. So calling it I Am My Hair, I knew that right away it would start a conversation because we, um, a lot of us are familiar with the song from um, India Ari, I Am Not My Hair. Right. So, <laughs> so there was a discussion that I was, I was having with um, a friend of mine, and um, I had an opportunity to present a play. She she gave me an opportunity. She said, if you had the opportunity to present a play, would you do it? I said, absolutely. So I collaborated with her, and for about three months, I just dived into my creative zone, and I just asked the Lord just to, you know, just bring the words forth. And so Mother Wise um, is actually one of six different characters from the full show. And so um, the show has um, a character of a, a young child dealing with, you know, self-image issues, and it goes all throughout where she is even taking the doll test and not realizing that's what she's taking. Um, so, and then the play goes through all the way up to, and it ends with Mother Wise, the words of wisdom for Mother Wise. And so Mother Wise is that um, matriarchal character how she's just pretty much going in and reminiscing of when she was a child and things that she remembered that 
she never in her life heard words that she was beautiful or thought that she was beautiful because she was more so of a darker skin complexion. And then, of course, having, you know, coarse hair and hearing a lot of negative things, you know, nappy head and all these kind of things. So that's why I really wanted to just bring everything out that she went through as a child and what she saw her parents go through. And then realizing um, when she got when she got up in her age, as in, in her 80s, that's when she found out her beauty, when she started reading the, the Bible and she read um, a particular scripture in, Revela- in the book of Revelations, chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. And her mind was just so open, and she the description that it gives was right. what made her feel that she was so beautiful. She was like, wait a second. It says that his head and his hair was as white as wool. And so she's making the, 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 you know, the, the connection that, wait a second, wool, and the texture of her hair and how it coils and bends. So that's when she decided to start walking around and holding her head up high. So not until she, you know, her husband used to tell her that she was beautiful, but she never believed it. Not until she believed it for herself. Right. That's when the light bulb went off. And and, and at that point, no one and absolutely no one could have said or did anything to make her go backwards and feel those negative feelings and and the negative images that she um, had really saw and thought about herself throughout her lifetime. That's beautiful, and I and I think it's important. Also, I noticed you noted in there in the words of Mother Wise, the section it says, "And his feet like unto fine brass, as yes. if a furnace." And I think that it really did. When I was reading it the very first time I read it, I said, "Wow, this is so awesome! This is what made her realize, hey, this is how the Lord looked." And look at me and that connection. I think that was beautiful. And I, I think it's important because, as, as you and Dr. Bob both noted, sometimes the way girls of color are treated because of the color of their skin can really have a, a major impact on them, how they view themselves and how they believe the world views them. So I think this is a good blend with both of your, your submissions. Um, let me start, Dr. Bahad. What interested you in submitting um, your submission to Our Voices, Our Stories? Uh, thank you. Yeah, I was uh, looking for a platform for uh, publishing this essay that focused on the intersectionality of my experience, um, you know, through my own uh, way of uh, being uh, authentic and, you know, kind of an un- unapologetic storytelling version. So um, I, I realized that I was looking out for my essay to be in a space uh, where I can be myself, where, you know, genuine, transparent, uh, vulnerable as a writer, but more importantly, as a woman of color. Um, and I also, uh, you know, believe storytelling is, um, it has a very um, powerful impact in creating social change, but also empowering and inspiring others. Um, so a colleague who's been, who was a very good, good friend and a mentor, Dr. Amy Woda, she had looked at my rough unedited version of this essay, and she shared, uh, you know, the anthology, the call for essays. 
So uh, when I looked at it, I realized that it also provided the support and solidarity by, uh, you know, the editors and by the National Girls and Women of Council, um, you know, organization to bring my stories and lived experiences uh, represented across two cultures into this essay, uh, which hopefully can empower and, uh, you know, inspire other girls and women of color. So I feel very honored to be in this anthology and submitting and writing this essay has been a very cathartic experience of how far I've come along, um, you know, hopefully to inspire other girls and women of color as well. Indeed, I will. Ms. Thompson, what about your submission? What encouraged you to submit your submission to the anthology? Well, I, um, you know, sometimes I do workshops and I do other, you know, small speaking engagements. And I was just, I just got online and I just started doing research. And I'm like, I want to be able to reach, you know, other girls and young women. How, how can I find an organization or another platform to do so? And that's when um, I saw your information came up online in the search, and, and I started doing more research. And I said, oh, wow, this is so amazing. This is, this is something I would love to be a part of because it speaks to the mission that I have for myself. And so that's why I decided I wanted to um, just to add my voice as well so that when other girls and young women read that story of Mother Wise, whether it's um, a younger woman or whether it's an older woman that maybe be in their 80s or 90s or even in their 60s, hmm. they might find some common threads in the story of what Mother Wise is saying and be able to help me and, and, and also them in turn, um, you know, we helping each other in just continue, continuing a rippling effect. I call it, it's like um, you're dropping that pebble in the water and just watch the ripples just keep on going. Exactly. Beautiful. Thank you both. And I, before we even go further, I would like to stop and say to the both of you, thank you so much for your awesome submissions. Um, they were outstanding, and I do, and I strongly believe, and I can say I know that they will help so many, especially young women, realize that it doesn't all. it's not that to not allow people, rather, to make them feel as if they're, they don't have self-worth or they're not important or they're not valued or that they're not enough because that is the, the issue where so many young girls of color believe and feel, well, I'm not enough because of A, B, C, or D. And I think both of these submissions will help young women, you know, it will boost them up, inspire them, motivate them to say, you know what, I, I am beautiful. There's nothing That's wrong with the color again. And, that, and those, are, those, I think, they're very important issues for girls of color to deal with. So let's begin with this. And I'll start with you, um, Ms. Thompson. Why is it important for the voices and stories of girls, teens, and women of color to be heard? Well, I, the reason why I believe it's very important is because I give the analogy of um, a fist or holding your breath. If we ball our fists up and we never, we never open, open it up just to release or we hold our breath and we don't get a chance to really exhale, right. it's, so much, it's just so much pressure that we're carrying. And when you're carrying so much pressure, there's so many negative things that it, cause, it can cause health issues. 
And just also, I mean, certain times, sad to say, certain things can lead to suicide. So when we have an outlet, whether it's being able to talk to someone else, whether it's a friend, a mentor, a family member, whoever, or whether we're able to just go in and just get a simple piece of paper and a pen and just whatever we're feeling inside to get it out on paper, or even if we're orally talking about that story and someone else is writing it, it's such, it, it's just, it's very therapeutic to get it out. It is. I agree. I agree 100%. Dr. Bahad, what about you? What are your thoughts on why it's important for the voices and stories of girls, teens, and young women of color to be heard? Um, I I think I... Um I relate or I agree to with uh, with what uh, Ms. Thompson mentioned is about the ripple effect, and I feel that makes a huge difference in terms of listening to other stories or even sharing. Um, uh, I I believe, especially in my field, uh, when stories are being told and shared, um, I I have noticed often that young girls and women of color, their voices and stories are often forgotten in these narrators and discussions. And um, I'm, I mean, my response is more on a macro level, but I feel it affects, uh, you know, individually uh, on a societal level, especially when um, girls and women of color are often, you know, neglected in these conversations. So, for example, like the, like the feminist movement where we are striving for gender equity or equality, health or reproductive justice, rarely include young girls and women of color's experiences and struggles um, in their vision or goals. Um, and often uh, we end up excluding black and brown women who may identify as LGBTQ or are survivors of abuse or, you know, have disabilities. So we have these different multiple layers of, um, of you know, hurdles and barriers that we experience. And I, I believe that, uh, you know, we are not... I think a lot of these conversations do not center the needs and struggles and experiences of marginalized groups. Um, such as, you know, as I mentioned, black and brown women. So I feel it's important to have these platforms where, uh, where you know, as I said, like as Ms. Thompson mentioned, whether it's writing on a paper, whether it's storing, uh, you know, telling, telling a story publicly or privately, um, through a poem, through an act of resistance or artwork, you know, in whatever avenue is accessible and you're comfortable with. Um, I also... I also feel that we can inspire other girls, teenagers, uh, and women uh, of color by letting them know that they are not alone, um, that others, too, have also been experiencing similar difficulties. So sometimes um, I believe that helps to, you know, kind of uh, each one of us to find the power within us to overcome these struggles. Um, so I, I, I completely agree with the whole ripple effect, and you know, um, as I mentioned, it's been a very cathartic experience writing this essay, but also listening to other stories, and um, you know, uh, listening to uh, my peers, my colleagues speaking about their experiences, um, and I, I feel like it becomes, you know, kind of at least for me, it inspires me to be a, a stronger, assertive, and apologetic, confident, you know, woman who is not afraid to be sensitive, compassionate, and vulnerable as well. And I feel like there are these different layers of, uh, you know, reasons why I think it's very critical that we focus and, you know, center the voices and stories of uh, girls and women of color. They need to be heard. They need to be out there. 
I agree. And I, I think one of the main reasons why we, we started the Visibility Talk Radio series was because of the fact that it, if, you, if you listen to the media, you, you watch the news, it was very rare would you hear anything positive and, you know, lifting, inspiring, and motivational, or even just the stories or the voices of a young girls and, and teens and women of color. It's like they were totally invisible. They weren't being heard. And that was an issue. So I think with the platform, with the National Girls and Women of Color Council, our goal is to make sure that their voices are heard because their voices are important. They have to be heard. That's just the bottom line. But I'll tell you both something that I found disturbing last week. Um, as we know, this is Women's History Month, and the, and I, the college that I was at, they had a notice up on the wall for an empowerment, I guess, session or conference. And they had all of the speakers' pictures on the flyer, and there was there were no women of color especially with all the issues, that that sends a message to those young women on that college campus, women of color. That's because right. You know, they should have, there should have been an inclusion, at least one to three women of color, to talk about empowering each other. And that's another reason why I started to notice that so many of the platforms that were out here, they were not really focusing on empowering our girls, our young women, teens, you know, even our, our seniors. And I believe it's important that we help the young women understand or realize that the power is actually within them. When you see situations involving women of color, that, in my opinion, sends a strong message. And Absolutely. the message, my, in my opinion, being said is the wrong one. So... <clears throat> Let me move I on. I agree. Yeah, you know, because it, it, I just think it's, you know, on a college campus, that's a no-no in my opinion, and really in any environment, but especially there where we often see girls of color, mainly predominantly white institutions, and they're not being represented. They're not, they're, you know, concerns, challenges, issues are not being addressed. That, to me, just, it's like a wall going up. And I don't know if it's an intentional wall or unintentional wall, but to me it is a wall. So let me move on. When we think about the experiences of girls and women of color, their experiences can be extremely unique, and sometimes they're complex. And when we speak of them being complex, the complexity of those these um, experiences can be internal and external. And I like to refer to them as internal and external personal challenges. And they also experience traumas that can stop life's progress in its tracks. And often it'll cause girls and women of color to lose their spark as the burden of these complex, you know, internal personal challenges and external ones dampen the flames of their inner fire. And sometimes when this happens, their dreams become deferred, um, hope gets diminished, and it stagnates their personal growth. So my question to the both of you, what are some of the unique 
Um, well, I would say it's it's multifaceted. Um, it, it 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 ranges. I mean, sometimes it could be um, body images um, and just how they view themselves versus what's being seen on television, in magazines, on social media, and just being bombarded with a whole bunch of um, images that really puts a lot of pressure on girls and young women to um, to look a certain way. Um, just to give you one quick example, I have two. I mentioned earlier I have two young daughters, um, you know, ages seven and nine, and they had um, a, a week where they had to, you know, it was like for reading, a reading challenge, and they said, "Mommy, they're like." All the books that we um, that we that we saw, that none of the none of the children in the books looked like us, and they felt very sad about that. Wow. Yeah. So what I ended up doing was I took I said it's okay, girls. I said I said sometimes that's the way how you know society is in terms of putting those images out there to make girls like you feel as if you're in the minority and you don't matter. But I told him, I said, you know, representation matters. You should be seeing, you know, girls and boys of color in in books. So what I did, I took my girls to the library, and I let them take books out that showed children that looked like them. And so that really, you know, even though it started out where they weren't feeling so, they were feeling a bit sad, that really, you could just see the light in their eyes and how excited they were and happy just to see that representation. So, so again, like I said, it, it goes into um, just those constant images, just seeing them day in and day out everywhere you go. It's just It's just all around, and we have to continue to have conversations like these and have platforms such as these to continue to make a change. Exactly. Well, well stated. Dr. Bahad, what about what are your thoughts? Um I I I think one of the, one of the points that even like I had like that kept coming in my mind uh, especially in terms of my research that I've worked on is you know representations of women and violence against them in popular culture. So um, I completely agree with what Ms. Thompson mentioned. I think it's also about shifting the uh, shifting the conversations around it. So, uh, for example, is one of the things that I thought of it is other than having these representations, uh, in addition to having representations of black and brown girls in uh, books, right, um, and popular culture or mass media, and having healthy and realistic representations. Um, I think it's also important to, um, I think, talk to uh, young girls uh, in terms of, uh, you know, not kind of um, not revolving around beauty and their body size and body shape, but, you know, asking them about their success, asking them about their books, um, what they have read, or asking about their hobbies or the favorite subject in school, right? So I think there these, I mean, and it may, like, apply to all of the young girls, but I feel specifically uh, when uh, young girls from... Uh, you know, communities of color who feel invisible, they don't see characters being represented in the books they read. Um, I think it's also uh, how we navigate our conversations when we talk to young girls, kind of letting them know that, you know, they are more um, 
I think their worth or their importance is not just focused on the beauty and looks, but it's also about, you know, what they, uh, what their dreams are, what their goals are. Um, so that's one thing which, you know, suddenly struck me as Miss um, Thompson was highlighting her experience. Um, one of the other things, uh, the second thing that struck me was also, um, I think, as a first-generation immigrant, you know, who's uh, born and raised in India, but I've been here for 14 years, I think we are often labeled, uh, judged, or stereotyped based on our racial or ethnic identities, uh, whether it's in person or professionally. Uh, for example, as a first-generation immigrant, especially as a woman of color, I have been applauded for speaking English very well um, in almost a patronizing tone. Um, and so these are these you know kinds of microaggressions I have faced, um, and a few of my peers have also shared the experience of being misunderstood or stereotyped, um, you know either the angry black woman or the loud Hispanic woman, or I recently heard it's also about the submissive, passive, workaholic Indian woman, um, and these are very troubling tropes in which you know we are perceived by our society and um, the community, you know, which often tells us that we have to act and behave within a certain right, race or a gender box. Um, so I think these are, you know, the first two things that strike me. Um, but also just to uh, quickly highlight is I feel like as a scholar and educator in this moment, um, one of the main issues that, uh, you know, keeps coming up is girls and women across the world. Um, and specifically from, you know, black and brown girls uh, largely experience both unsafe and public and private spaces, like for example, while walking to school or using public transit, you know, so we experience a lot of street harassment, sexual harassment, and unfortunately, that happens is because then they are, fo you know, they are focused on how they should reach school safer and work safer instead of focusing on their education or focusing on their, you know, career or dreams. We are investing our time in negotiating how our route looks like so that we are safe. Um, so. I feel these are some of the things that, you know, some of the multiple and, as I said, like, um, as Ms. Thompson said, multifaceted issues um, that, you know, play a role in uh, kind of, uh, you know, uh, bittering young girls and women of color, uh, their growth and their, you know, um, kind of their empowerment. I think you both made valid, such a really good valid point. And I can remember when we were ready to conduct a study prior to launching the PACE mentoring program and in conversations that I held with young women and these were in their 20s and they were also teens and what I walked away from the um, study with them was that so many of them uh, experienced the very issues you both noted as well as too many young girls, especially black girls, were actually forced to become adults before, you know, they were ready to because they either had to help out um, with the families, you know, raising the other siblings. They had to either get a job and go to work. And they had such high levels of stress in their personal lives and had taken on so much responsibility until so many of them just, like, flew through their teen years and didn't get a chance to really enjoy them and then many experience also like the sexual abuse, mental and physical health issues, um, poverty, hunger, the socioeconomic issues as well, homelessness. There were so many young women who were homeless, but they had hope and they believed that things were going to get better for them. They, some of them had difficult home lives where they just 
were not getting along, whether it was family members or a parent was um, was addicted to drugs or heavy drinking or they was just an absentee in and out parent. Um, there are so many issues of lack of love and this, they just weren't getting that nurturing of support and guidance. And for me, those complex, you know, those were like, many of those were the internal, personal um, challenges they had to deal with. And I believe strongly, and especially from talking to these young women, that those traumas can actually prevent them from enjoying being girls or teens. And, you know, and when that happens, that can affect them psychologically, emotionally, physically, and socially. Um, and then you, you will see that their growth sometimes can get stagnated. They, they lose sight of their dreams because this happens on several levels. So I think that, and then this doesn't just happen with girls, it happens with women as well, you know, experiencing the sexual abuse, mental and physical health issues. And the poverty can all drain them to such a degree until they begin to believe they don't have any self-worth, that they are, they'll never be enough, that they're not beautiful, they're not smart, that they don't have a bright future. And then it, for me, it leads to, I think there was a show one time on television, I cannot remember the year or the acting, but anyway, it was to such a degree that one woman stood up from the audience and she said, black girls have to be validated. And I, fl- I almost flew through the television screen hmm. because I think it's dangerous to make little girls of color believe that in order for them to have self-worth, somebody has to validate you. And that's a mistake because what happens if you're teaching this little girl, you have to wait and be validated before you have value or worth or before you can be somebody. What happens if no one ever comes along to validate that child? What is going to happen to herself? And I think that's dangerous. So, And I think there's harm in making them believe that they have to be validated. So here's my question to you on the note of when we're talking about validation. How can we empower girls, teens, and women you know, when I say empower them, I mean psychologically, emotionally, physically, and socially, to know and believe that they do not need to be validated by anyone to have self-worth. Dr. Baha'i. Uh, one of the things that um, I believe has helped me and I've also learned from um, other uh, women around me um, I think is very important is by setting and asserting our boundaries as women of color. Um, And I feel like both personally, whether it's with our partners, family, friends, colleagues, or our community. Um, One of my uh, friends, Dina Lewis, uh, had mentioned that to me very clearly, and I think that keeps coming in my mind, that no is a complete sentence. (laughs) Um, And, you know, due to to the different messages being conveyed to us on a personal or a societal level, or even, you know, messages portrayed by pop culture, um, especially to young girls and women of color, that we are not enough or we need to work, you know, twice harder to prove our strengths, which may be true in many levels. But I think we real, uh, I have realized that we end up letting go, our, uh, you know, of our boundaries, um, giving ourselves emotionally, 
overexerting ourselves, investing our compassion, kindness, and empathy, I think three times more than we do it for ourselves. And that often leads to compassion fatigue, you know, uh, a low self-esteem, mental distress. So um, as much, I mean, I, I don't want to use the word self-care. I want to be very careful of the word self-care because, you know, consumerism and capitalism have kind of exploited that, um, the true meaning of what it means. But I feel like it could be just about saying no and, you know, not justifying or maybe asking for help from our close family and friends when we need help. And I feel these are different ways to feel empowered without being validated by anyone to, you know, realize what our strengths are. So it could be a range of self-care activities, but is I think the main um, as um, uh, one of uh, an educator, Mia Mingus, she mentions about how self-care is making the choice to build a life that you don't need to regularly escape from. And I find that quote particularly relevant to us for women of color in terms of realizing and identifying our own strengths, um, even if it means drawing inspiration from others, but that doesn't mean we need the validation of others to prove our self-worth. And I think to have these conversations specifically to, with young girls and teenagers, whether you know it's through reading, it's through books, or uh, kind of having these different dialogues using pop culture, but transforming it as a positive thing to have these conversations with young girls and women, I think it is very critical at this point of time, especially in terms of, um, you know, again, coming back to asserting our boundaries, um, you know, setting our limits and knowing how much, how we need to, I think, treat ourselves kinder and more compassionate the way we do it to some, you know, others around us. That's a good point. Excellent point. I think, do you think that people intentionally want to make young girls think that they need to be validated or do you think it's just it's just they're so used to going through that do you think it's, it's the norm i i think um, it is it has been the norm i'm sorry i didn't mean to interrupt you no 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 that was for you great oh, oh okay um yeah i mean to say is like i i feel um you know uh i think as i mentioned like whether it's the t- terms of scare but it's also in terms of other uh, you know other ways i feel uh we shouldn't the, I believe that our efforts collectively uh, or as, you know, as a society as well, where we are teaching young girls to, you know, that they they do need to be validated by others to have that, you know, self-respect and self-worth and that they are important. And I think completely to depend on that, as you mentioned, Dr. Kalbrath, is, is very um, is very uh troubling and it's very uh, you know it's not not healthy it's not you know it's not uh, very good in general for uh, their their well-being um i feel the culture especially like in south asian cultures in general and i'm not i'm gen- not generalizing but i'm saying as growing up from someone you know from india but also as a phd student here i always started you know finding it I was always told to like kind of, okay, you know, on your own, you cannot uh, build your own self-worth in terms of that, not by my parents, but in the messages conveyed to me. So I would always look out externally for validation. Until I finished my PhD program, I was always looking out for that. And then the moment I recognized that that was really harmful, I'm, I realized that much later in my life. And I, as you mentioned, I think we need to teach that to our young girls. The harm in making girls of color believe that they need to be validated in order to have self-worth. I, I think it sends a very negative message um, 
which <laughs> we we have to, like I said, just, you know, us having conversations like this and also having conversations with our young, you know, our girls and young women to let them know that's that's not the case. Right. Um it's it again it's it's just a, it's a, just a very dangerous thing that um need to be validated. <laughs> and exactly. I and I'm sorry if it sounds like I'm like I'm laughing as if it's funny but it's not it's no. it's just very it's very hurtful and, and troubling and 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 I'm just frankly I'm just I'm tired of it. And so <laughs> I know that we have uh we have a we have a lot of work that we have to do but it still takes a village to raise a child. It still definitely does. And if we, what we're doing right here and just collectively continue to do that and on a grander scale, we will have other young girls start to do the same thing for each other, like mentoring each other rather than this thing of where um, they feel like they have to, okay, I need to get up to this point. No, it's all about working towards their own self-realization and working to their own full potential, not to be validated to say, oh, this is what you need to strive towards. Then you'll be accepted or then you will be, I don't know, considered beautiful or whatever. It's When you were talking, um, you know, Dr. Colbert, I, it made me think of when you were the clothing store or whether it's in the, the grocery store to get produce. And you said, well, what what happens to, you know, with girls feeling that they have to wait to be validated? It's like going into the clothing clothing store and purchasing an outfit, or um, you go into the the supermarket and you're picking out produce, and you're like, mm, you know, I don't like the way this one looks. And what happens to to the fruit or the vegetable? It it eventually just stays there and it rots. And it gets tossed into the garbage. That's right. And I feel like with some right. of our girls, eventually, that's how they start to feel inside. Like, oh, oh, wow. No, I'm, I'm, I'm just waiting to be validated. My, my time hasn't come yet. Sitting there waiting and waiting and waiting, and all those dreams and hopes and just those beautiful things that they have inside of them. You know, whatever hobbies and abilities that they have so that they're able to contribute to this world, that just dies. Yes, that's true. It does. It really does. And I think it's, and I think it's alarming. And, but, and I've also noticed with young girls where some of them were so desperately seeking and waiting for someone to come along and validate them and say to them, you know, okay, and I think that as adults, we have to. I think we have to work hard to realize that you don't sit and wait for anyone to come and tell you that you're okay, that you have self-worth, that you're pretty, you you are beautiful, that you can conquer the world. I think that. We as as women have to help instill this in them, but the biggest question is, how can we, how can girls, teens, and even women empower themselves? I mean, what can they do, uh, Doctor Bahat? I um, there are a couple of things that you know. Uh, 
again, uh, I also feel like, uh, you know, the, uh, the couple of, sorry, I'm just like rambling, but it's more like I think there are a couple of things that come in my mind. And But I also feel like I believe that one size does not fit all kind of things. So there's not like one, you know, single correct response in terms of how the advice or suggestions may or may not apply to all young girls and women of color. But I, I feel sometimes um, what has helped me and I've seen that, you know, has helped uh, other um and women around me is uh, mapping your milestones and accomplishments in your different roles or the hats you wear has been very helpful in creating, you know, these may sound very cliched, but it's, it's really helpful um, on an individual level to kind of find that validation, as you mentioned, yourself and not to seek it from outside. But uh, one of the other things that has helped, and um, I, I had uh, heard about this from um, another uh, a South Asian woman in a you know a networking event for women of color. She mentioned like you you should write a letter to your younger self or current self, uh, you know about believing in them and their dreams and their strengths. And that becomes a very cathartic thing, which I haven't tried yet, but I hopefully you know will try someday soon. Um, but I think one of the most important things uh, that keep coming to me. Um, is uh, one of the barriers, uh, if you if I recognize uh, one of the barriers of, uh, you know, not being able to empower ourselves is um, kind of we assume that uh, the, the, you know, the notion of the concept of success or healing or being brave or strong means the same to everyone. As I said, one size does not fit all. So to realize that, you know, success, I'm sorry. No, no, you're correct. Uh, I said I agree. Uh, oh, okay. Okay, I'm going to say like this, you know, the concept of success, healing, and, you know, uh, being brave or strong, especially for women of color, means it's important, first of all, to kind of, um, you know, seek that self-validation and to identify our own strengths. So um, at the Women of Color Conference at Berkeley uh, two years ago, um, the keynote speaker mentioned that, you know, uh, as women of color especially, we can do it all, family, career, education, Right, but also more importantly to note that uh, you know the definition of doing it all is different for everyone, right? Uh, for someone, success means being able to work a part-time job while completing community college. For someone, means acing in a geometry test with a learning disability or a dysfunctional family, or sometimes it's just being about being vulnerable and reaching out for a fam, you know, for help to a family or a friend. Um, so it could be anything, and I think. Uh, as women of colors, we must acknowledge and respect these differences and not compare ourselves to each other. I think that would be the first step. I think that's what, especially, in, again, as uh, Ms. Thompson mentioned, as in the age of social media and digital media, it's very easy to kind of, you know, um, get into the race without knowing and understanding our own strengths. Um, so I feel like that that's like one thing that keeps coming up from my experiences is how, uh, you know, that's one way to kind of empower ourselves, and that's how it helped me. Okay, that's, that's good. Ms. Thompson, what are your thoughts on how girls, teens, and women can empower themselves? So I I definitely um, agree with Dr. Bott. I mean, one, one word I'm going to sum it up is just to say self-realization. Just getting to, you know, each young girl just reaching their own full potential, like Dr. Bott said, if it's a thing of where, oh, they're only able to, you know, their full potential is working a part-time job, 
because um, sometimes, you know, um, our girls and young women have may have um, different levels of disabilities. And so if it's a young girl who she may have um, a mild case of Down syndrome and she's only able to work a part-time job, say maybe 15 hours a week, and then she's off, you know, doing um, going to dance dance lessons or something like that, that's her reaching her full potential. We might have another young girl who she's able to do it, do four different sports, fencing, volleyball, um, ballet, and, you know, and other and things of that nature. So it all depends on, on, on that young woman's own potential and, and for them to understand that, you know what, just because your full potential is just doing A and the other young ladies is doing A, B, and C, you both are equally at your full potential. You cannot compare yourselves. Like I love to give this analogy about flowers. I did this workshop about flowers to some young ladies, and I explained that. What you have to realize is that each of you are flowers. You have flowers that will come out when you plant them. They're going to bloom right away, and you have other flowers that it's going to take a little time, but once they bloom, they're just beautiful as the other flower that's there. And when you look at all the flowers together, they're all different. All different right. types of flowers. You have orchids, roses, everything you could think of. But when they're all there together, they're all considered flowers, but they're all different. That's true. One beautiful responses. I also think, too, that we have to start teaching them to believe in themselves and to set high standards. Um, and I always say this is my favorite saying, define yourself for yourself. And also with the high expectations, I think it's important they should challenge themselves, you know, and just take charge and learn about their value and the importance of personal time, of, you know, setting those goals. And then I always say this, put people on notice, because what happens is that with the young girls, teens, and women, especially of color, I think sometimes that they may believe that if they speak up and try and stand firm and stand and let people know this is the direction I'm going in. If you don't like it, too bad. Or if they try and just exert some pride and and self-respect and interest in themselves, you know, stand firm and say, well, this is my identity. This is who I am. I think sometimes if they're afraid that they're going to get pushed back. And I often wonder, what do you, you know, I think they get, they're afraid of that. What do you think, Dr. Bahat? I'm sorry, uh, could you repeat the other last part, uh, Dr. What, Calvert, your voice? I missed your voice. What do, you, do you think that they're afraid of getting pushed back from people when they try to assert themselves or try to empower themselves to lift themselves up? Do you think that sometimes the girls of color and women as well, do you think they're afraid of the pushback that they're going to get, not just from family or friends, but mainly from society, the mainstream? Do you think they fear for pushback? Yes, um, I um, I believe that uh, you know uh, there is a fear of pushback. There is a fear of uh, being rejected in terms of you know getting the support that they were receiving so far. Um, I also feel uh, you know it's also about uh, I think as women of color we always receive multiple reminders about our setbacks and failures of what our worth is right and i feel that often leads to low self-esteem mental distress 
whether we are, uh, you know, whether it, uh, it's a seven-year-old girl or whether, you know, it's a 70-year-old woman. So I think the main thing is, you know, uh, sometimes more than the, uh, I think it's, it's also about resisting that change and to go beyond it and to kind of still stand up for what you believe is right. Um, I know sometimes it's easier said than done, especially when young girls don't have the, you know, the support they need or the solidarity they don't get from other peers or, you know, allies around them. And I think uh, that fear is always there, but I feel like sometimes, you know, uh, I always encourage, you know, uh, college girls who are from South Asian cultures, and I always tell them, you know yourselves best and what you have gone through, what you have worked hard through, achieve those dreams. So whether it is accepting pushback or accepting, you know, small hiccups and failures as temporary setbacks, but you do have the inner strength to look beyond that. So, you know, as you mentioned, set high standards and get up and, you know, try to achieve that goal and kind of be prepared for the pushback. Of course, in terms of, you know, safety and what access right. and resources they have, right, within within that uh, reality kind of thing, so. Yeah, I agree. I think so. I, you have a valid, very valid point there. Ms. Thompson, let me ask you, how do we, how do we, um, or how can girls and women of color and teens as well, how can they discover or realize that the power, you know, to achieve their dreams, to overcome, to stand firm in their convictions and move forward? How do we, how do they realize that power is within themselves? Well, I, I, I mean, I truly believe that they, you know, they, they have to, they have to first of all have role models that they're able to look to, whether it's their own peers or whether it's actually um, adults, um, family members, um, or or even other elderly people in, in the community that they're able to look to for, adv- that they can go to for advice. I mean, um, a teacher that they're able to go to for advice and can, and can talk to um, and bounce information off of. And just also in terms of trying to not compare themselves to others, just realizing that they're unique and they can only be their true authentic self. How do they learn these things? They Again, they have to have mentors. They have to have women like us in their lives. Um, they have to um, have an outlet where they're able to talk about certain issues and not feel like they're going to be um, judged or or feel like they're not able to, you know, they're just being shunned or like, you know, oh, no, we don't have time to talk about that now. We're dealing with something else. So just just having an outlet so that they can express themselves, that's very important. I agree. I agree. That's really interesting because if they don't have that, sometimes they can just close themselves off. And I think you're, you, both of you are right. The mentoring is the key where they have someone they can go to and talk to and help them, help guide them and provide resources and encouragement. And I think also that if we teach them from a very young age, you know, that they're more than just a little, a young, gifted and little girl of color that teach, you know, build strong, healthy levels like self-esteem, you know, self-love, self-identity, self-respect and self-pride. I think they're crucial because I've noticed that when you instill a strong sense of self 
especially in young girls. It's like, you know, they just light up with life. They're positive. They feel assured. They're confident, and they can move forward. And I think once they, once those levels are really healthy, and then the more you work with them, especially through the mentoring, that is when I believe they really start to see, okay, you know what? It's within me. I can do this. I can accomplish this goal. It's like one young lady for years used to always say to me that she thought she was so ugly. And she thought that she had bad, bad, horrible skin. She didn't like her hair. I mean, she had so many critical issues about her And that wasn't good because what was happening to her is that she was heading down the wrong path with the wrong crowd. Because what she was seeking was acceptance. Like, basically, she was seeking validation. Mm-hmm. And it didn't matter how many times her mother told her or a sister or family members. She just could not embrace that or accept it that, you know, hey, I'm okay. And I mm-hmm. think when I met her and I started mentoring her, and I just broke it down and said to a point blank, those individuals who you're believing in, you're seeking validation from them that you have worth, you have value, but you're so much more than that because you're you're going in a direction with the wrong crowd. They're not the answer. And the more I worked with this young lady and counseled her, talked to her, um, just introduced her to other things in life to let her see that there's a whole world out there ready to be explored, but at the same time, teaching other life skills that she needed to have. I think life skills are important to help empower them. I also believe that once she surpassed the belief that she needed those people, the others who were really trying to bring her down, once she moved away from them, she blossomed like you know them, Ms. Thompson, like a flower. She just blossomed. And her whole attitude changed. I also think it's... um about the way they believe and perceive themselves sometimes that helps to empower them to realize, you know what, this is within me. If I think positive thoughts, if I, you know, do A, B, C, or D, perhaps things will change for the better. And with that young lady, it really did. But it all started with her realizing that that power to change the path that she was going in was within her. So what are your thoughts? Dr. Bahat. I, uh, I mean, thank you for sharing the story because I feel like it, you know, um, it, uh, sadly and unfortunately, it reflects a lot of, it's similar to a lot of the other stories and uh, experiences I've heard from other young girls and even, you know, as, as adults or as women of color, um, there seems to be a similar thread um, in all our experiences. And I feel like um, in terms of, you know, for me, what struck, uh, what strikes me in terms of how uh, these messages about who, you know, our beauty and how we look like or, you know, kind of this uh, seeking external validation, this sometimes I feel like one of the major, um, you know, sources is, you know, mass media or popular culture or so seeing these different sexist, derogatory, unhealthy, toxic representations of uh, women uh, in different forms of popular culture and mass media and give these, uh, you know, conveys a false message about 
false and unrealistic message about what a you know what a young girl should look like and what a uh, a woman should look like and specifically for girls and women of color um there are additional racial and you know gender and sexuality tropes uh, troubling negative tropes that are added to that um so i'm not i'm not sure whether i'm directly answering your question but that's what you know those are the thoughts that came up in my mind while you were sharing the story um because i feel sometimes that's like one of the you know um uh, i feel like popular culture and mass media has a much more stronger impact in every household than we give it i don't i don't want to say we give it credit but you know what i mean like it it's an indispensable part of almost every household you're right i agree with that because i think it is an issue as well as social media and um miss Thompson, you can just join in with us but i think this is the issue i also think that social media and you, you made an excellent point, um, Dr. Bond, that influence on social media can sometimes, if you ever just read some of the posts on some of the sites, or some of the, you know, they subscribe to them, if you just sit there and read them and you see how some of the girls of color, especially black girls, how they feel about how the world perceives them, how they're treated, and and, and I understand and I and I do realize that they cannot make people see them in a positive light. But I also think that if they relied less and less on social media to, and I hate to go back to this word because I hate validate, to validate them. And, you know, just like the young girls who would go on social media and meet a strange guy and go out with him, next thing you know she's turned up, um, she's dead. I think if we would also press upon their minds while they're young that not to be so, and I, what is the word I'm looking for, um, not gullible, but so ready to believe that what others are saying they have to do in order to, to be accepted, you know, is, is valid, that it, it's, it's, it's the honest truth that you have to believe it. I think too many of them get caught up in believing that they have to fit in with the in crowd, and that if I'm not in with the in crowd, then I'm nothing. What are your thoughts, Ms. Thompson? That's right. Well, we, my thought particularly is that we have to continue to work that we're doing, having platforms like this. And no, I read, I'm just reiterating it again because it's so important. If we are supposed to be the village that are helping to raise these girls and young women, That's right. they're gonna be they're gonna be out there interacting in the world. Like my two young girls, they're out there, they're interacting with other young girls in school. But when they come home, we're we're talking about how how did, how was your day? You know, their father and I, we both talk to them. You know, so what, what kind of day did you have today? What happened? And then when they start mentioning different, you know, things that might have been negative or not so savory, that's when we, we go into parent mode and go into that positive mode of trying to keep them inspired and impacted and engaged and empowered. So, again, I think we just have to um, individually just keep having these type of conversations and then, you know, going back to the whole issue of girls having mentors and because they are, they we can't we can't stop them from seeing things that are on social media, TV. You turn on the radio, the songs that you're hearing, 
it's stuff that's not kosher. It's stuff that's so inappropriate. And we can't we can't keep them in in a world that's um, we we, we don't live in a in a bubble. So they're gonna be our girls are gonna be out there in the world interacting, but now when they're having those interactions, we have to equip them and arm them with enough information and so much love and everything so that when they go out there, it's like a force field that that they have around them that, oh, okay, the things that I'm seeing and hearing and what others are doing, it may affect me a little bit because I'm human, but because I'm constantly on a daily basis working on myself to get to my full potential, guess what? You want to, you know, go get, they have these injections now where, you know, the young girls are actually going to get, um, cosmetics in their in their their rear end and yeah. other parts of their bodies, and so because this is what they're seeing with you know Nicki Minaj and I, I don't mean to say names but I'm putting it out there because these are some of the negative images that we're seeing and these women are being glorified and exactly. they're being put on pedestals and so when our young girls see that they have to realize that wait a second that's not healthy. So the conversations that we have to continue to have is that's not something that looks healthy. You may think that someone is desiring that, but that is not something it's not healthy. And so that when in turn, when we keep having those conversations with them, they're going to eventually get it. So when they start seeing those those other images and everything, they're going to understand that, wait a second, I'm not striving to look like that because... That's not healthy. The way how I am is unique, it's authentic, and it's just enough. It's just as good. Exactly. Beautiful. Well stated. I I think that is so important. And I always try and tell young women, I remember one young lady, she was basically in the stage of trying to find herself. And, you know, sometimes the teen years can be awkward. And the problem I had was that her mother thought it was okay for her to emulate or try to dress as, like, like you said, Nicki Minaj and the way some of the performers, music musicians, and the way they dress. And I explained to her, when you see them on stage at a concert, those outfits that they wear, that's their stage. That's their stage persona. That's professional. That's what they do. In their real life, you don't see these women walking around like this every time they have on jeans and T-shirts. If so, but I think the biggest problem is that she believed that in order to be accepted with among her peers, that she had to dress like that. She had to look like that. And I think one of the biggest issues was that her mother thought it was acceptable, and I told her, no, it's not. Let her be a little girl. Let her grow up. Let her enjoy these years. These, this is a time period she'll never be able to get back. But you can teach her. That, you know, that power is within her to build herself up without having to, you know, alter her, like you said, her appearance or copy someone, let them find their own individuality. Um, Dr. Bahad, what are your thoughts on that? I, um, I, I completely agree with what um, Ms. Thompson mentioned and what you have shared, uh, because I feel like those, that was one of the things that I had in my, uh, you know, uh, opinion and my uh, experience 
is I think we need to have these um, very important uh, conversations with our uh, you know young girls in our community, in our families. Uh, you know, um, I do not have children, but and I, I know sometimes I'm very careful about uh, you know kind of um, kind of threading that walk in terms of how to have conversations with your children. But what I try to do is um, since I'm not in that role, I usually try to still uh, intervene and kind of call out or, you know, critique these representations shown in popular culture, whether it could be with my niece, my friend's kids, or even just, you know, with a with an audience that, uh, you know, where I presented my research. So it could be a, a diverse group of, uh, you know, young girls. But I feel like, uh, I think one of the things that uh, struck me, uh, you know, kind of uh, uh, came to me was, uh, how much of unrealistic and unjust gendered expectations we have about our body size, sexuality, relationships, and they're often imposed on young girls and teenagers using, you know, moral policing techniques. So I feel like these conversations, whether it's about having healthy relationships, knowing about our bodies, you know, menstruation, reproductive choices, understanding boundaries and consent are often not addressed, especially with uh, young girls and women of color. Um, so I, I feel like as an educator, these may be very uncomfortable yet critical conversations, um, which we, and by we I mean as adults, educators, or community allies, must have with children, teens, and youth, especially in terms of empowering them. I, I always believe knowledge is power, but right. I also want to clarify that the responsibility, you know, it shouldn't just completely come on the young girls that, okay, I have the knowledge. I think it's a, it's a process of mentoring and, you know, providing them with the resources and knowledge for them to make informed decisions. Um, and sometimes I, I feel like not having access to knowledge, healthcare, resources, especially for young girls of color, um, creates these additional barriers. So I, I feel like providing them with the knowledge and the resources and having these constructive dialogues, whether it's calling out on, you know, as I mentioned, like, how women are portrayed in films to, you know, uh, how, uh, the, uh, you know, a sexist joke was made in school or, you know, by an administrator, like to kind of call out these conversations and intervene. I think it's important to address that, you know, and um, I completely agree with Ms. Thompson to have these conversations. They're important. Yeah, I do. I'm going to, I agree with both of you. I'm going to skip through professional and, I, and I'm academic okay. areas, but and maybe it's important we can talk about that, but, when it comes to how women of color are treated, uh, many women of color experience disparate treatment professionally. So my question is, how can we empower each other to handle issues? You know, there are many issues that we deal with in the workforce that affect our psychological, emotional, physical, and social well-being and growth professionally. And when I say that, I mean because we deal with racism. We deal with the colorism. Um, we even deal with PTSD, um, issues with inequality and pay, especially for women of color. We deal with negativity, and we also always labeled or categorized in the workforce. So being that we're treated this way and we go through all the stress and the dramas, drama involved in everything, how can we empower each other to realize that power is within us individually to overcome these issues? Ms. Thompson. I would say um, definitely right off the bat, we have to support each other. And I know mm -hmm. keep hearing the good old support each other, but it's <laughs> so true. It's something that definitely has to happen. And because sometimes we 
when I say we, meaning, you know, um, just as how you have um, Dr. Bot, she's from, um, she's from South Asia, she's from, from India, and I'm from, um, you know, I was born in Jamaica in the Caribbean. And then, you know, sometimes when we come together as women of color, then we find different things to start judging each other about, and, mm-hmm. and then that's, that brings another level of, of issues just internally that even overarches and encompasses what happens with, you know, with the racism and other things that happens on, in the professional setting. So we have to definitely support each other, and when we see something that's wrong in the workplace, we have to, when I say support each other, call it out. If someone else is making, whether it's a joke or, um, you know, making someone, you know, harassing someone or making, just making their, their professional work life really hard, and we realize that's what's happening, we should not stand by and, and, and play a role in that or just be quiet just to say, oh, you know, I, I'm just caring about my paycheck. You know, that's her problem as a Caribbean woman or, oh, that's her problem as, you know, an immigrant, those kind of things. So we definitely have to support each other um, in that manner so that we know that, you know what, at the end of the day, we're women of color and we have to support each other. Beautiful, well stated. Dr. Bahad, what are your thoughts? Um, uh, yeah, I, I think uh, Ms. Thompson spoke exactly what was on my mind. Um, you know, as you mentioned that, yes, uh, you, you know, the 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 advice of like having each other's support and supporting each other uh, for me like it's it you know the uh, I'm always inspired by uh, Audre Lorde's quote uh, you know I'm not free while any woman is unfree even when her shackles are very different from my own um, right. and I feel like I'm always yeah inspired by that because I feel it can be a very isolating and unjust world out there um, I was fortunate to have other women of color during my PhD and my work and volunteering experiences who helped me voice my experiences, uh, you know, grow and evolve, did not hesitate to teach me about the things I was ignorant about or call out on any other, you know, uh, behavior that I can work on. So I'm grateful for that. But I also feel, uh, you know, as you mentioned, we must surround ourselves by fierce and fabulous women and allies who, um, you know, uh, empower us, not deplete us, um, help us grow instead of putting us down and, you know, bring out the best in us by providing us constructive feedback and advice. Um, And again, it's also, you know, as you mentioned, it's also important uh, as women of color to believe in ourselves our strengths and, you know, abilities and use those to provide support to others who are struggling or don't have the resources or cannot voice themselves. Um, You know, as uh, Ms. Thompson mentioned, that we need to call out on that. And I think expressing solidarity just in words is not enough. I think we need to show it in action as well uh, when we are with other women of color, um, you know, and I think that's what's motivated uh, me to keep growing, evolving, and empowering myself. Um, I I also have noticed a similar pattern, uh, you know, in terms of clash of opinions and perceptions about, you know, uh, women of color themselves. And sometimes the inability to recognize these differences and peacefully resolve them um, also contributes to the hostile environment created for our young brown and black girls. So I, uh, I, I find it very essential, and I think it's, uh, or, you know, it's an urgent kind of um, need to center the needs and experiences 
of other women and sisters from communities of color. Um, we also need to invest like leadership roles. We're creating leadership roles, board member positions, you know, youth-led panels, kind of uplifting their stories and voices in addition to ours. I agree. Wonderful, wonderful responses, ladies. It's excellent. Let me move on and ask you, let's talk about education and in academia. Now, academically, we can empower our girls, teens, and young women, you know, by making sure that they achieve academic success. But what I've noticed over the years that too often first-generation and young women of color, especially from disadvantaged backgrounds who enroll in college, they often become overwhelmed from personal issues that can and actually do affect their ability to complete their studies. So how can we empower them, you know, to achieve academic success? And at the same time, while we are empowering them, help them realize that that power for them to achieve the academic goals is within them. Ms. Thompson. Well, they, um, on college campuses, definitely they need, they need to um, have, you know, different resources available to them whether it's just, you know, things coming out from the student center, their, um, their um, you know, their counselor there on campus, they definitely need to have, re ac well, access to, to resource, first of all, because if, if the resources are there and they don't really know what's going on, then they're just being set up for failure. So I think having resources, the access to resources is very important. And, and even I know, um, you know, we have the big push for a lot of our, our girls and young women to, to enter into college. And sometimes in terms of them getting to their full potential, sometimes, you know, going to um, trade school and learning a trade or a skill, that also has some value in it as well because not everyone that, you know, that, that we would love for all of our, our girls and young women to go off to college some of them are just not able to handle that level of work or they may say, you know what, I just, I don't feel like I'm cut out for college. I just want to go and, um, you know, be, I don't know, a technician or something of like that. So um, just supporting, having, providing resources for them in that aspect as well, I think is very important. I think that is true. I think there are issues, so many issues there. Dr. Bahad, what are your thoughts? Um, yes, um, I feel uh, most, as uh, Ms. Thompson mentioned, I think most college campuses um, do have, you know, uh, like multicultural centers or collective groups and agencies and units, you know, catered towards um, like students who belong to different marginalized groups. Um, and you know, it's kind of focused on, you know, inclusivity and uh, like being inclusive and diverse and accessible to all students. Um, so I feel like to utilize those resources and kind of identifying the support um, offered by campuses and even faculty members, advisors, I think that is very uh, crucial. Um, I also feel, uh, I know it's easier said than done because I'm like, you know, going out of your comfort zone to kind of reach out to other girls and women of color who experience similar issues um, and kind of finding that support system so it is more relatable and, you know, um, it's not that, you know, they're going to meet, you're going to meet every day, but also just to know that, okay, there, there's someone who can empathize with you 
and, you know, relate to you and kind of um, be in solidarity with what you're going through. So I, th I think that would be so helpful, um, especially participating in events or using these uh, campus spaces if they are available to network with other students. Um, but I feel um, one of the things that I've realized, and I've also understood that uh, and recognized that a majority of women um, uh, from uh, communities of color who are students, you know, uh, especially may experience multiple levels of oppression. They may even feel unsafe at campus. They may have distrust in the police uh, or have mental health distress. As you mentioned, you know, they are, um, they are kind of the sole, uh, uh, they, they bring income for their family, you know, while they're studying. So um, in addition to, I think, for us to create these uh, opportunities and these safer and supportive uh, spaces for these students, I also want to uh, highlight that I think the responsibility also lies in the college administration and student service leaders to recognize and understand these individual barriers and creative, safe, and supportive spaces and policies um, for these girls and women, right? Uh, because I feel as much as it's it, it is a collective work for all of us in terms right. of, uh, you know, as women of colors to work on this. I feel, um, you know, uh, I also feel like the responsibility, the whole burden comes on us when we are not able to access any of the resources and allies around us. So that's what I meant to say. So. Well, you know what I wanted to ask you also, do you, to both of you, this question is directed to both of you, do you think it's important for girls and young women of color to see women who look like them on these college campuses to help them. And I, and I make that, I ask that question because in research I conduct, and I think her name was Dr. Sanchez, she made note that it's important if girls of color are going to be mentored, that they need to have mentors who understand the issues that girls of color actually deal with. Because, see, not everybody can understand the issues that a young black girl from a disadvantaged background living in an inner city in poverty, which she, which she deals with on a regular basis. She further went on to state that it's important, number one, for them to bond and for the mentor, whoever's going to be advising them or working with them, to really, really understand them and the unique challenges and the issues. What are your thoughts, Ms. Thompson? Do you believe that they need to have someone that looks like them? It's absolutely very, very important. Um, I mean, I, I don't get me wrong. Sometimes you may have, um, you know, women who, you know, whether it's, you know, Caucasian women who may come in and they might be sincere, but I, I and no offense to them, but I, but honestly, it's important for our girls to have representation. Because we're already, day in, day out, we deal with white privilege. Um, so it's, it's extremely important for our girls to see a mirror of themselves so that they're able to say, you know, not to say, oh, wow, I want to strive to be that person, but to be their best self. And so having that representation, it, it honestly, truly does matter. And it, it, there's studies that show that it actually impacts performance, if you look at in schools. With, um, I'm, I know I'm veering off of our girls and young women and talking about young men. But no, you're right. studies that definitely show that, you know, when, when you have men of color who, who are educators, the boys perform better in school. 
Same thing for our young girls, too. When you have women of color who are in those classrooms, their performance is better. That's true. Because they're seeing someone who they identify with. I agree 100%. Dr. Bahat, what are your thoughts? I absolutely 200% agree with that. Um, I think representation is so important in, uh, you know, kind of, reaching out to um, these kids and these young girls, uh, especially as you mentioned from inner communities who have experienced much more struggles and much more, uh, uh, you know, barriers in whether it's accessing education or whether it's going to work or just, you know, having healthcare. So I, I, I feel like it is so important to have mentors and role models um, who look like them, who they can relate to, who they feel less, uh, you know, uh, looking at their role models, they can feel less isolated and they can feel like, okay, you know, I can do this and I I have the strength within me, uh, you know, to kind of overcome this just the way, you know, my mentor did. So, you know, without seeking external validation, it can be a very uh, important tool for empowering themselves, uh, you know, without depending on anyone else. But I feel, yes, representation matters a lot. Um, Yeah, absolutely. You I can't agree. be I, what you can't see. <laughs> exactly. I'm sorry. Exactly. Well said, and Thompson. I love that. I can tell you when I was teaching down in the University of District of Columbia and in Baltimore City in Maryland, there was this dynamic and, and with my students, especially my female students. Like from the first day of class, you could see there were all issues flying all over the place. And... I started working with them, mentoring them, coaching, counseling, you know, helping them work through the issues. And with by the end of that semester, I can tell you that these young women had grown so much. They matured. They realized that because a lot of them were going through personal issues, and those personal issues were keeping them from completing homework assignments, coming to class, whether they were health issues or just boyfriend issues or children issues. And these young women had no place to turn. Like many of them didn't want to want to involve their families because they wanted to keep that part of their lives or those issues personal or private. And they didn't have anyone to talk to. So I started working with them and talking to them. And the next thing you know, by the end of the class, these girls made like a complete 360. And that's what really inspired me to continue working and, and starting NGWCC. Um, because I saw the need where they were just reaching out. They wanted help, and unfortunately, they did not know where to turn. So, and I remember one young lady saying to me, because they, we had an issue in the classroom where the light brownest complexion girls were giving her a hard time because she was dark-skinned, and I stopped that. You know, instantly I stopped in the middle of a lecture one day, and I spent the rest of that class period talking about colorism, how the, you know, the psychological damage that it causes. And, I mean, I gave them a lecture. I think they remember the rest of their lives. But the point mm-hmm. I'm making is that we have to be prepared to address the issues. And I also believe that when it comes to working with especially girls of color, we have to be prepared to, to use that holistic approach. And I always used to tell other faculty members this and academic advisors if you were, if you take a young person, because they had this big push where they're trying to get so many 
she may fall. But if you take the time, invest in her, focus in and teach her how to have self, you know, the self-esteem, the self-love, pride, identity, respect. Once you build up a strong sense of self, when those curveballs come along that can make her possibly doubt her abilities, her stamina, and whatever else you want to throw in there, she'll be better equipped. So now you have a college student who has a strong sense of self in your classroom, and when the curveballs hit her, she can deal with them and move on. But absent that, that um, building that strong sense of self-worth, I, I don't think that, uh, I think sometimes you're setting them up for failure because if they're not prepared to deal with life's issues and they don't know how, at the first sign of controversy or, or some trauma or challenges come their way, I've seen so many young women just fall off the boat. What are your thoughts, Ms. Thompson? I, I definitely agree with you in terms of, of making sure that they are fully equipped. And like I mentioned earlier, in terms of having, once they're fully equipped, they're going to have that force field around them. That's so right. that, that's, their, that's their protection. That's their protective zone where they're so fully equipped and just so, um, so prepared that they're going to just be there and they're going like you said they're going to be those curveballs and issues that they're going to arise and offenses and everything that it's going to happen but it's how do I react to these issues how do I handle these issues when they come up so having them be prepared is a really really great thing um yeah. So and I'm just I'm just sitting here smiling because it just really warms my heart with the story that you just told. I mean, if they are, you know, poured into what's gonna come out and blossom is gonna be amazing. That's right. And I think I can and I can tell you it's been been a journey, but my whole focus has been because I've worked in corporate America, hated it. Couldn't take it one day. I saw so many issues there with the women of color, what they experienced and they had to endure. Then when I, well, being in academia, when I'm looking around and I'm saying, wow, that young lady could really go places. She can do this. She can do that. But she just needs the support, the resources. And that's one of the reasons why we started the Peace Mentoring Program um, for teens and young women of color because they need that support. They need to know that, you know, somebody here cares about me and they're willing to help me get where I need to go in life. But what I always do is encourage them to realize, you know, that power is within you. And when I say that, I mean from the standpoint that if you are determined to complete your degree, realize what time management is, the dedication and what you have to put into it, you want to be a success story, you can become a success story in your own right. But it's hard work, perseverance, and believing in yourself. And I've noticed that once you empower these young girls to realize that the powers within them, that they hold that key to propel themselves, you know, forward and, and reach higher ground, it was so amazing, you know, to see the transformations, to see how they, it's like somebody just breathed life back into them. And as you know, to Miss Thompson, they started to blossom, and they were, you know, blooming, and they were radiant, and they were glowing. 
knocking down walls. They were doing it. And I was so proud of them. And that's when I realized, you know, you know what, this is what I love to do. I would prefer to run a nonprofit where I work with these girls and young women of color to help them achieve their goals and move forward in life. So often they don't get the resources or the support that they need. And like I noted to you earlier on the college campus with an empowerment conference or, or date, a program for the day, and there were no women of color, there was no one there that looked like them. And that's an issue, and I think, like you both noted, we need platforms like this, we need organizations like this that are going to continue to propel them forward. Now, Ms. Thompson, your work is so desperately needed for our girls and especially our young women because you're going to inspire them to realize, like, wow, I can do this. You know, Dr. Bahat, with your research that you do and your engagements and activities, our women need this. Young women need to see this. Your role models, you know, they will look at you and look up to you and be like, wow, I can do it. And I think when they see you and they hear your stories and they know what you're doing, that helps them to realize the power within. What are your thoughts, Dr. Bahat? Um, yes, thank you. Uh, I appreciate your, um, uh, you know, uh, I appreciate your support. Um, I, I feel, um, I think it is important. I mean, I, I was very, I kind of, uh, you know, uh, looked at Ms. Thompson's background and work and the organization. And, uh, you know, as you mentioned, like, it, it always helps us to inspire each other and kind of grow from there. We cannot, like, isolate our experiences and our struggles for ourselves, right? And I feel, um I, and and I feel like sometimes, you know, as an aspiring storyteller and an educator, I feel it is very, very important, of course, in our own comfort and our pace, you know, um, and if we feel like it's to share our stories, struggles and experiences, whether it's in a public or a private space, um, it's also about being imperfect and yet, you know, unapologetic versions of ourselves, right? Um it's also about, you know, us being women of color who can be forgiving and kind to ourselves just the way we are to others, but also setting boundaries and saying no to preserve our energy and health. And I feel the more stories we share, the more our experiences and insights are visible. Um, and I feel like the experiences of, you know, women of color particularly would be represented in these, um, you know, public narratives and policies. Um, I uh, and just to you know add, or I'm not sure if it's a direct response to your question, Dr. Culbert, but I feel sometimes um, you know in in response to your other uh, the earlier conversation you had about giving um, kind of encouraging these young girls, um, you know, about being trailblazers, being like these outliers, you know, telling them that they can achieve the dream if they cannot see. Um, you know, representation, for example, in a comic book, they can, they can create a comic book themselves by, you know, creating characters who look like them, for example. And I feel those conversations are important, but also, like, as, you, as Ms. Thompson mentioned, providing those tools are very important of how they should, you know, deal with setbacks, how should they deal with uh, con confrontation. So um, I think, yeah, at, at all these levels, I feel it is such a powerful uh, platform, uh, whether it's through, uh, you know, the radio series right now or whether it's through the anthology. Um, I feel it's such a powerful platform and we need to have more conversations like these. I do. I agree. I do. Um, Ms. Thompson, your thoughts? 
I I agree with with both of you, with both of you, um, and and thank you for you know I echo the same sentiments as well. Um, definitely, with the resources being provided to our girls and young women, we will be able to equip them, and then from there, they'll start to realize that wait a second, I can stand on my own two feet, and then if they happen to say fall or stumble a little bit, then they have the mentors that they're able to lean on. And knowing that they have someone there that they can depend on or lean on or go to or ask for advice, they'll be able to soar so far that it will just it will just be such a great impact. I agree. I agree one hundred percent. Well ladies, I wanna say to you thank you. This has been an outstanding show. Your commentary, your thoughts, ideas have been phenomenal. And before we close for the evening, I would like to give each one of you opportunity. Ms. Thompson, are there any projects or a website or any information you'd like to share with our listeners so they can find out more about your work, if you have any upcoming um, plays or shows or events? Thank you again for um, having me as a guest. I really appreciate the platform, Dr. Colbert. And um, I just wanted to share just very briefly my um, website is artistryisministry.com, and I currently I'm just I'm just working on a couple of projects that I have. I'm looking to um, just to share more performances and excerpts from I Am My Hair. I do still currently run you know various workshops for girls and young women. Um, just showing them how to continue blossoming, or if they don't know how to blossom yet, we can work together theatrically to um, to get that done. And so the, the the theater workshops that I do are very interactive. So um, I'm I'm very excited to um to work with other girls and young women. And um, you know I have another project called I Salute You, Good Men, and it's just in support of men that are out there doing wonderful things that are also supporting women. Wow, that's awesome. Very awesome. I like that. So thank you very much, Ms. Thompson. Dr. Bahad, would you like to share about any projects, websites, or upcoming events that you're involved in? Sure. Um, thank you, Dr. Culbert. First of all, for this opportunity uh, to you know share our experiences, and uh, Ms. Thompson has been wonderful talking to you as well. Um, I uh, w- one of the things I have a book chapter which is under peer review that focuses on representations of motherhood and masculinity in Bollywood Indian cinema and the implications of on the South Asian community. Um, this book, hopefully, it will be released by the end of this year. But I have a chapter in that, and the book is on global perspectives on motherhood and masculinity. Um, so hopefully, that would come out by the end of this year or early next year. I'm excited for that. Um, I am available. I don't have a website, but I am available via email or on LinkedIn as well. Um, and my email is uh, megbhat, M-E-G-B-H-A-T, at gmail.com. And one last quick thing is I volunteer for Stop Street Harassment, an organization that tackles street harassment and gender violence across the world. Uh, We have the International Anti-Street Harassment Week that's coming up uh, from 7th to the 11th of April. 
So don't hesitate to check out the global activities or the awareness events and, you know, different ways uh, our audience and the listeners can participate um, on um, www.stopstreetharassment.org. So thank you for the opportunity, Dr. Kerber. Yes, you're both more than welcome. And listeners, before we uh, leave of mine, I would like to let you know that one Wednesday of this week, we will conclude our mini-series, Our Voices, Our Stories, with episode five that is titled, What the Health, Women of Color and Healthcare Disparities in the Millennium. Dr. Mahat will also be a guest yes. show with us, along with doctors, um, each other correct, doctors uh, Huggins and Dr. Dr. Wells. So we look forward to you joining us on Wednesday the 27th. And my guests, once again, thank you for your outstanding, phenomenal um, participation and comments and everything tonight. So, listeners, thank you, and we look forward to you tuning in on Thursday night. And Dr. Bahad and Ms. Ha- Ms. Thompson, please hold the line one second. I'm going to place you into the screening room. Okay, listeners, thank you, and we look forward to seeing you on Wednesday evening. Have a great Tuesday, wonderful Wednesday. Good night, everybody. Thank you for joining us for Visibility with your host, Dr. Donna Maria Culprit. You may contact us at 866-829-0163. We're looking forward to you tuning in next Wednesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Until next week, remember to define yourself for yourself. Dare to be different and dream in color. This is Dr. Culprit signing off for Visibility. Good night.